The most powerful communication medium any company has is the grapevine. Hi, I'm Holly Ransom and welcome to Coffee Pods, a podcast devoted to fueling your difference. Here at Coffee Pods, we have a simple hypothesis that in the mere amount of time it takes to share a cup of coffee with someone, we can tap into a lifetime of experience. And that's exactly what we aim to do here at Coffee Pods, to give access to some incredible individuals who've marched to the beat of their own drum and who are willing to share their advice, their highs, their lows, their insights, in order to help give each and every one of us the toolkit and the inspiration to fuel the difference that we're trying to make in our own lives, communities and organisations. Coffee Potters, this week we're getting into the art of storytelling and our guest is Gabrielle Dolan. She's a global thought leader on authentic leadership and storytelling, working with high-profile leaders around the globe to help them become better leaders and communicate using the art of business storytelling. In this conversation, we're going to delve into what makes a good story. How is it that you can think about start, middle and end? How do you get resonance with the people that you're talking to and a whole variety of other tools, ideas and strategies that can help you enhance the way that you effectively engage using the power of storytelling? Enjoy. Here's Gabrielle Dolan. Rael Dolan, I'm thrilled to have you on Coffee Pods. Thank you for making the time. Pleasure. Glad to be here. Well, I, as you know, we were just chatting about the fact that kind of one of the heartbeats of, of Coffee Pods is all around change. And one of the things that I've known about you since we first met is you are all about trying to change the, the way that we converse, the way that we communicate with one another. Where did that passion come from? Yeah, it's a good question. And it, and it is a passion. It was like when people say, what are you obsessed about? It's like, I am obsessed about trying to change the way we talk in business. So from this default language of using jargon to just being more real and genuine. You know, I guess I feel like I'm always spoken in a way that's pretty genuine and pretty real. It's sometimes even to the point where, you know, sometimes I feel just like the bogan from the suburbs, (laughs) the way I talk. And I've always admire people that speak in a more real and genuine way. I've always been attracted to them. And I think most people are, most people are, but we go into business and we feel like we we have this pretense about us that some reason we feel to be professional, we can't be our authentic self. And some of the work, well, a lot of the work I love doing, it's almost giving people permission to do that, to say mm. it's not only okay, but it's what your people are hanging out, it's that this is the way they want to be led and they want to be communicated. So, so I love trying to, I'm rising to that challenge. I read somewhere that you were in a role in, in banking in a leadership position there when sort of the importance of storytelling hit you like a ton of brick. What happened? Yeah, well, it was literally, I was in, um, so I was working at National Australia Bank. I was in a change management role and um, Merrin, this woman I worked with, was the project manager. And we were rolling out like a really significant change across NAB. And it was um, when, we were, when we were announcing the change to the HR people, Merrin had shared this story about a flight she was on that, you know, she travelled a lot. And so on this particular flight, due to really bad weather, they had to abort the landing and they circled around again and had to abort the landing on a second time. And on third attempt to land, the captain came on and said, we'll make a final attempt to land, but before that we'll go through the safety instructions. And all the people that were not paying attention to any of the safety instructions before now were suddenly, you know, full on divided attention. So when I... When we announced the change, and you know you, you know what it's like, changes get announced in corporates all the time, and we sort of just go, oh, whatever, you know, it'll go away, it won't really affect me. 
Merrin's key message she wanted to get across was this will affect you and it may not impact you immediately, but it's going to impact you at some stage, so you need to be paying attention. So I suggested she share that story and um, she reluctantly did because she really didn't see what was the point of it. But it was, um, I noticed people, not only the impact that story had immediately on the people in the room, but three months, six months, 12 months later, they were still referring to the story. And it probably was... I sort of say it was a bit of a sliding doors moment for me. It was because then what I really noticed that the great leaders were sharing stories to communicate. And, and when you shared stories, people not only understood the message, but actually remembered it. So um, yeah, that, that kicked off a couple of years of going, well, maybe there's something in this and doing a lot of research and reading about it. And, and 15 years ago, ago saying, you know what? There's no one else doing this in Australia. I think I could teach people the importance of this. So It's funny that you say, you know, that your observation was that the great leaders use stories. I mean, arguably, the, the great leaders throughout all of human history mm. have too. And I was sort of saying to you, it's funny that in many ways we forgot that, yeah. we lost our way. Yeah. And But you, you were saying to me that 15 years ago it was a hard sell to oh. talk about storytelling. Yeah. I mean, how, how did we forget or lose the art to begin with? It, it, I think it gets beaten out of us. You know, on a side issue, I see a lot of politicians when they start off early in their career are actually really good communicators and I would say good storytellers. And then they go into sort of, you know, official senior roles and it gets beaten out of them. Like, you know, stick to script, don't say anything. Three so, word slogan. Yeah, three word yeah. slogan. So you see that in, in politics all the time. The same thing happens in business. So we go in, we think the way to be professional is just stick to all the facts and logic and data. Um, we start using all these big words because everyone else is using them. We start using the latest jargon because everyone else is using it. And we think that sharing anything about ourselves is not professional. So it, it sort of gets knocked out of us. Um, and it is changing, but you know what we're dealing with now is people that have been in their career for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and, I'm, and helping them realise that there's a better way to communicate. So, Which is a bit of a challenge by that point, isn't it? Because it's so habituated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that they sort of go, you know, you can start off easily. And you know, a lot of people, when we talk about storytelling, you know, it's, it's happened throughout our times. You know, people go look at, you know, the Aboriginal culture, look at the Bible, and then they'll refer to the great leaders like, you know, um, Barack Obama and, you know, Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King and all stories. But people in business go, yeah, but that's them. That's that's not me. That's not me. I'm a, I'm a finance person. The amount of conversations I've had with people in finance, like, but I can't tell stories because I'm about numbers. And I was like, that's exactly why you need to tell <laughs> stories. So it's just, it's giving them permission. Um, one of the cool things I love in my training is some people go, I've just never, ever thought to use a personal story in a business setting before. Um, and then giving them, showing them how their personal stories, even though they think they might be really boring or not interesting, that that's what people relate to. So talk to me, what makes a good story? So what it's not about is having the most inspiring story, you know, like climbing Mount Everest or whatever. You know, if you've done that, good on you. Yeah, I'm not suggesting. Right? Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, climbing to the summit of Mount Everest... 99.9% .9 of your people will not be able to relate to that because they haven't done it. Getting told off by your mum when you're a kid, 
people can relate to that. Um, having your kids saying, what would you know? You know, people, so your day-to-day stories are the ones that people relate to. So that's some of the, some of the good things that make um, a good story in business. There's other, like just really practical things like time. When you're sharing a story in a business setting, my rule of thumb is it needs to be about one to two minutes. The moment you start going over that, it doesn't matter how intriguing you think your story is, <laughs> people will be thinking, if not saying, get to the point. So you've got to be really succinct. And that, and, and because of that, that takes preparation and discipline. Um, and and just, just knowing how to start your story properly, like with time and place. Like when I was a kid, I grew up on a farm. Not starting your story with let me tell you a story mm. or even worse, starting let me tell you a true story because that implies that you normally talk crap but what you're about to say is true. And just ending ending your story is the hardest part. So a lot of um, the training I do, people go, this is harder than I thought because you want to end your story where people get the point and they get the message but you don't want to tell them the message. So you don't want to be saying, so the moral of the story is you, you've got to do it in a way that they get it, but you allow them to get it, not, not tell. Which is the common mistake people do at the end. They keep reiterating the point and they just think, stop, just stop talking. It's interesting you say that the bit around sort of overlooking the everyday because, you know, it's a comment you'll see a lot of people, and, you know, I think about watching the best comedians work too, and it's the everyday anecdotal observations about being on the train or what happened when they're in line for the tickets to the sporting event or anything like that. And yet I think so many of us go, I'm not funny enough, I don't have good enough stories, I haven't got great enough examples, it's not impressive enough. Um, What does that speak to in our culture, that there's sort of this diminishing of of our own story? Yeah, it's a good point. And, and it is a lot of, that is a common thing. People go, but no one would be interested in this. Um, and when I go, to, but you're interested in other stuff. And, and you're right, comedians do it brilliantly. I mean, Seinfeld's built a whole career on just observational yeah. humour of the <laughs> your, the story. Family. What was it? Yeah. The story about nothing. It was yeah. the show about nothing. Um, I think it, I'm not sure if it's people don't value their story. I think ultimately people want to be liked and accepted. So they think if they're sharing a story that's not big enough, that's not grand enough, people will reject them or people will go, why are you telling me that? Um, and part, you know, part of the training is to go, but you really appreciate when other people share this information about them. It's helping them realise it and helping them experience how powerful it can be. But it is one of the challenges. It is one of the blockers why people don't do it. They think no one would be interested. How do people even create more self-awareness for themselves around what their stories are? Because I imagine one of the interesting parts of the exercises you do with people is sort of to say, think about some things that have happened to you recently. And probably for a lot of them have gone, I never thought there was a story in that. One of the things I say at the start of my training is at the end, you're, you know, you will start to notice stories all the time that you, and things will happen to you, normal day life, and you'll suddenly go, oh, that could be a story. So I do that all the time. So th- there's a couple of things. Um, one thing I suggest is you just get a blank piece of paper and from one of your earliest memories, just start writing down things that have happened to you. And I suggest sit with it for a while, like, you know, do it over a half an hour or an hour because the first time you do it, just the, um, I guess the high level stuff will come into your mind. Like, you know, you got married, you got divorced, you had kids, you moved countries, you broke your arm, whatever. But if you sit there for a while, random stuff will come to you and you'll be thinking, "I've, I've never even thought about that for years. 
I just just write it down, just write it down on a bit of paper or um, I was in a workshop the other day and it was the follow-up workshop and a guy pulled out his phone and he'd written it in the notes section of his phone. So every time he needs to think of a story, like he's got to go into a meeting and he needs a story on teamwork or innovation or respect, he just looks at the notes in his phone. So the, the first process is sort of get all the information out of your head. Um, I also then say flick through your phone if you've got a camera and you've got like, if you're like me, you've got thousands of photos going back years and it just reminds you of things that have happened and you go, oh yeah, all, all of a sudden you could use that. And then, then the real thing in business is you go, well, you've got to be clear on the message. So what is the message you're trying to get across? And um, make sure it's only one simple message, not like four messages in a story because that won't work. So... You know, if you, need, if you need to get a message around, um, you know, one of your values, at company values or your personal values might be respect. So how do you share a story around, how do you share a personal story about what that means to you? Because uh, one of the points I really appreciated that you said was um, there's preparation required yes. to, to make a good story. Yep. I, I love to quote, I think it's a Charlie Munger one that says, you know, it, uh, there's a lot of work involved in having an opinion. Yes. And I, I like that, <laughs> you know, because I think we, we have them a little too flippantly sometimes yeah, in this yeah. age. So, and again, I think because it's storytelling yep. and people think it should be all natural, they think there's no preparation required or they think you shouldn't practice. And I'm amazed when I go into businesses and I'll run workshops and I'll have the participants say, they'll point to their CEO or a really senior leader and go, they're a natural storyteller. And I just have this little smile because I know I've been mentoring them for the last 12 months or that they've attended my training for you know three times and just point out that there's nothing natural about them at all. They're good, they're brilliant, but they've actually put a lot of work in preparing the stories and practicing them so when they say them, they, they sound natural, but they're, they're very well rehearsed. So what if someone's on the journey of going, okay, I've got some loose ideas of things that have happened to me that, that maybe I could make something of and I could start becoming a leader that uses stories yep. more. What does that preparation or that work look like? What do they need to do to hone that? Yeah, so I would say when you're first starting out on this, so first of all, be clear on the message you want to get across in a story. I highly recommend writing the stories out as you would say it. So, so can I ask, do you reverse engineer or do you work forward? Do you I kind of think this is the message, watch the story or vice versa? Both. Okay. <laughs> so, you, so you do both. Um, so, for example, you might have a presentation next week and it might be around innovation. So I would go, you should start with a personal story around what innovation means to you. And so the process I would go to you is I would just ask you, you go, so what does innovation mean to you? Let, let's roll model. Okay. So I'd go, okay, so what does innovation mean to you? If you just told me what innovation means, what does it, it mean to you? It means creating new things or combining things in new ways to add, add value. Yeah, what else does it mean? Uh, it means things that haven't been done before. Okay, cool. Anything else? Uh, it means unlocking the future potential. So I, I heard three messages in there. So to innovation to you could be unlocking future potential. It could be doing things that have never been done before. Or it could be just like adding to something or combining things to add value. So I would go, there's three messages. Pick one of those that you sort of really is your real message you really want to resonate with. And then, you, then I go, where have you experienced this outside of work? Like, can you think of a time where um, you've added to something that's created real value? But, like, make it personal. Mm -hmm. And then you could, you know, you could be sharing a story about, you know, 
building a treehouse when you were a kid and then all of a sudden you decided to put a slide down it and then it became, you know, and so like what this shows is you're sharing a personal story about what it really means. So I get the message, it's about, it's not building another treehouse, it's just adding something to what we've already got. If that's your message, you share that personal story to get your point across, but also what that story then shares to me, if it's a personal one about you, innovation's part of you. Like this is, I've been passionate about innovation since I was a kid and you're sharing that through that story. Like you're not, you don't have to say that, but it's coming through that story. So then I would suggest um, you write it out as you would say it and you practice it and practice it and practice it a lot. Make time yourself to make sure it's not going longer than two minutes. Um, you know, some stories do, but you wanna be really good if your stories are going longer than two minutes. Um, and then when it gets to the, I mean, obviously you're not going to read out your personal stories, but you do want to practice it and you want to get the end of your story right so people get it. So that's, that's the preparation I would go through. And like I said, sometimes it's the other way around. Something can happen to you and you just go, I'm going to, that's a great story on whatever, or I'm not even sure when I'm going to use that story because it could have different meanings, but I'm going to use it. So I remember once I was, um, it was a couple of years ago, I was getting my hair done and I was, I, I'd overbooked and I knew I was going to be late for a meeting if the hair point went when it's normal time. And I remember saying to my hairdresser, Paul, I've got to get out of here at a you know, certain time. And he said, it's really tight, but I'll see what I can do. And when it got to blow drying my hair, he physically picked up two hair dryers in his hand <laughs> and was blow drying my hair. And I, I said, oh, stop, I've got to take a photo. He goes, why? And I go, I, so in my mind, I thought this is a brilliant story on customer service. Yeah. It's a brilliant story on innovation or process improvement. And so I, in my head, I thought I could use this story for either any of those messages um, but I, and I just take a photo so I remember it. Sometimes that, that happens a lot too. You just spot stories. And you mentioned the importance of ending well. How do you know when you've got a good ending or what's the process to kind of, what should people be searching for in the way to package something? Well? Yeah, some of the, a good process for an ending, especially like if you're sharing a personal story, you know, so if your personal, we'll go back to your treehouse, not that you had a treehouse, I don't know if you had a treehouse, but tree house. you did have a treehouse. So. So you, you could be sharing your story about a treehouse and there'll be a bit of intrigue in your audience and there'll be an element of, I'm not sure where you're going with yeah. this, but that's okay because you're probably only speaking for about a minute. So as long as it's enough of an interest, people will be with you. And then the way to end your story is almost like you need a bridging sentence to help people go, oh, that's what it's about. So a simple thing could be like, I'm sharing this, you know, I'm sharing the story about my treehouse because it reminds me what we're trying to do with innovation. So it's sort of like this, ah, oh, it's about innovation. And then your final one or two sentences of your story should really be getting the point across. So, um, but again, you don't want to go, so the moral of the story is innovation is about just adding something. It could be, you know, so I'm sharing this with you because it reminds me of innovation and I invite you to consider what slides we could add to the treehouse. Mm. So it, sort of, it just gets, but you know, you're not telling them, you're not giving the answer, but all of a sudden they're thinking in their head, okay, we've got this, whatever we've got, can we add any, can we add a slide to it to make it better? Or, you know, it could be, can we add whatever to make it better? Um, because that's if, if that's the message you want to get across in innovation. It's also so powerful too, isn't it? Because it takes you in with your interest and engagement, which we know are increasingly difficult things to get yeah. in this very noisy world. 
into a topic before you realise what it is. Yeah. So you're on this journey going, why am I talking about a treehouse? We're here at a 9am briefing. Yes, exactly. You know, I'm not sure where I'm going. And all of a sudden, well, we're in innovation. Yeah. But if we start talking with the jargon around innovation yep. or, you know, here's the, the strategic plan and, you know, let's talk about targets and this, that and the other, we're not going to get the same level of buy-in as if they've had that introduction in. Yeah, absolutely. So a story can be used to set up what you're about to talk about, which is really powerful. And again, that's why the start of... You know, you're not going to go, let me tell you a story about innovation and my treehouse. It was like boring. That's why the start of, you know, when I was a kid, me and my brothers built this massive treehouse. And it was like all of it, like you're, you've got your people engaged already. And if it's, you're halfway through the story, no one's sitting there going, you're telling me a story. But um, it's too many people go, let me tell you a story about innovation. You know, you've told me the punchline of a joke. The cards, yeah, you've shown the yeah, cards. Yeah. And I'm like, right, well, there's no intrigue now. Yeah. yeah. One of the things, when Lisa Alexander was on the podcast, um, the head coach of the Diamonds, she talked about the fact that um, still to this day, there is no uh, training session she goes to where she needs to deliver a piece of feedback to a player that she doesn't practice first and get feedback on delivery. What's your advice on sort of how you get feedback on your storytelling and learn to become a better storyteller? You know, almost checking that your story is achieving the result you're after. Definitely practice and and practice out loud. So, you know, and they're only one or two minutes, so you can sort of just practice in the shower a few times. If you're talking, I, I would say if you're unsure, run the story past someone. So especially if it's an, a new audience that you may know, because the story in itself may be really good, but it may not be right for the audience for whatever reason. So I would always just practice it out loud with someone. Um, now, they don't necessarily know the audience, but they could probably pick up words that you go, oh, I probably wouldn't say that word. Um, and then in regards to how you know it worked, sometimes you don't. So sometimes you actually don't know if your story worked. You normally do, there will be that like little second of silence after your story and that's a really good indicator that it's worked. Where you, you know, you've ended your story with just think what we could achieve or imagine if we could do this or I invite you to consider, you know, the slides we could add to the treehouse, your own treehouse. People are thinking about it mm-hmm. and that's, that's a good indication it's worked. You, you know, you, you hopefully you get a few of the nods and you get, oh yeah, yeah, good point. Um, and sometimes people come up and say, I really loved your story about blah, blah, which is, which, which is, you know, it absolutely worked. Um, but, you know, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you don't know. And it's years later, people go, I still remember that story you told about the treehouse. And mm-hmm. you're going, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that had such an impact. So you never quite know. And um, you can share a story to 10 people or 100 people and 90% of them might get it. 10% might not, but that's okay. It's not it's not a magical silver bullet. I imagine you'd say to me that, that storytelling can be deployed in, in any aspect of business communication, but are there areas where you think it's unbelievably powerful and, in fact, in the absence of storytelling, you can actually have issues, you know, in mm. that part of the business not resonating? Like, I'm naturally thinking about company values. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. an aspect of our organisations that I think we've placed too much faith in words that have been hollowed out yeah. with um, particularly a whole raft of corporate failings. Yeah. And so now we're trying to find ways to bring values to life in a manner where people understand clearly 
what behaviour is expected, yeah. um, what's acceptable, what, what do we mean when we say we're going to live that. Yeah. Is that an example of an area where potentially there's even more value in stories yeah. than other aspects? It's, it's probably the major part of work I do with clients is when they're rolling, rolling out, not just rolling out values, or um, they've got values and they realise that people aren't even don't even know them, let alone living by them, is to help the leaders share personal stories to communicate those values. I I truly believe, and I've, I'm old enough to have gone through decades of different ways to roll out values where we used to have, you know, you just print them on coffee mugs and on mouse pads. The, the cynic in me says we had to change because no one uses mouse pads anymore yeah. and, and we all get takeaway coffee, so we don't have coffee we've mugs. We've, we've lost that option. So um, it's like, well, we have to do something different. But... But that's the way we did values roll out. You know, you'd get fancy posters on a wall. We'd spend months and months and months wordsmithing, you know, is it is the value integrity or is it respect or is it trust? It was like, in the end, I go, it actually doesn't matter what you call it. Mm. It's how, to me, it's how you communicate it. And I truly believe that you cannot communicate values without stories. Otherwise, they're just words on a page. So I've, I've had some clients achieve a huge amount of success by working with them on helping them share personal stories about what the company values mean. And the amount of feedback when I do this with you know senior leaders, like senior execs, saying, this is actually the first time I've stopped and thought about what the company value means to me personally. And this realisation was how could I ever be expected to communicate it with meaning, with engagement, if I actually don't even know what it means to me myself. So that's, uh, that's probably one of the things I love most about my job is seeing senior, senior execs and senior leaders that just sort of say the values and helping them realise what it means to them. And then then they share stories that are just so powerful that this is what it really means. How do you encourage leaders as well to kind of think through um, aspects of, say, diversity and inclusion in the way they tell their stories? Because a lot of people, and I've heard them sort of say, oh, but it's so difficult because we have such a diverse workforce. You could, you could never possibly um, grab them all with one message or one bit of communication. Mm. You know, it's just, it, it's sort of deemed to be too difficult a task. Yeah. How do you encourage them to think through, um, because don't get me wrong, there's, there, there will be nuanced differences across every organisation, Yeah. but I believe that a well-told story could get more people than not. Yes, well, I agree with that too. Um, so I think one thing is, and when you're sharing these sort of day-to-day -day personal stories, what I find is they, they get more cut through, so more people get them. Um, when you're dealing with geographically dispersed and culturally different organisations, again, the more day-to-day -day they are, the more accepting they get. What doesn't work, though, is, is expecting that one story will communicate your entire strategy to your entire workforce and employees and stakeholders. And that, I, I think, as storytelling is becoming popular, people think that's what we need. We need one story. So, I, you know, I often... I get, not often, but sometimes get people ring me to say, will you help us develop our company story or our brand story? And I go, well, what, just one story? And they go, yeah. And then, then all our leaders are going to learn it and share it. And I just go, that is so not going to work. That is rote learning. I go, why don't I, we get the leaders in the room and we give them the skill of storytelling that they can use forever 
but base it around, you know, the company story or the value mm. story, the strategy story or the purpose. There's a big thing on purpose now, which is sort of brand. Um, so then they're, they're all sharing they're all sharing their own story that means something to them and will mean more to their people, but it's still the same message. As long mm. as the message is the same, they should all be sharing different stories. So, yeah, I, th- I think stories can get a lot more... People just engage with them better. There's also a narrative arc, isn't there? Like, you know, once you... Once you've heard a story once, it doesn't carry the same meaning a second time. Mm. Now, I might stick in your head in yeah. a way where you go, wow, I'm never going to forget that story. Yeah. And that's going to continue to come back and I'm going to think about it. But, you know, that whole set and forget, oh, we've got yeah. one company story. Yeah. We're going to use that all the time. We've got one story for this year. Um, I can't imagine, uh, the, you know, there'd be diminishing returns yeah. significantly. It, yeah. um, very quickly, I would yeah. thought, with that sort of approach. Absolutely. And you just, because you need to continually, continually, continually find new stories. Yeah. The most powerful communication medium any company has is the grapevine. Every single employee, every single customer is part of it every day. And you can't control it, but you can absolutely influence it. Mm. So if you look, I mean, if you look what's happening now in the financial institution, the negative stories are going around the grapevine like like wildfire. You don't need anyone, anyone to manage that. They just get spread. So what financial institutions need to do now to rebuild trust and rebuild the brand is, yes, they need to acknowledge all the bad stuff that's happening, which is is happening, Um, but they need to constantly find stories to put the positive stories back into the grapevine. And, And because negative stories, just the way we work and people like gossip, people share negative stories easily. To me, it's almost like you've got to have 10 positive stories to counteract the negative one. But you've got, you've got to actively do that mm. because the negative stories will just take over because that's just how the grapevine works. Yeah. They've got to be the real, you know, going out going out to your employees, speaking, and, and just the stuff that happens day to day. But if you're actively finding them, you will find them. It's just... Um, and, if you, and if you're aware of how powerful they are, then you'll probably make an effort to go find them. But, yeah, the, the, the grapevine... I always think if, you know, if the grapevine was a piece of hardware, stories are the software. Like, you absolutely need it um, and companies need to take more notice of it and to, to influence, try to influence both the stories they share and what they do, obviously, that generate stories. And there's got to be a congruence between them and there's got to be authenticity all the time in the stories. Now, jargon-free Fridays, why? Jargon-free Fridays. I, um, so I'm a bit of a fan on using real words and one thing that really I guess I see a lot of in companies is just the overuse of jargon like the overuse of jargon the overuse. what are your least favorite jargon oh words? the currently at the moment is pivot when pivot? did everyone start pivoting we just pivot I've on a netball court I, I know that's what belong. I think I, I so I've started this jar you know is it acceptable to use pivot at work? And I go, are you a netballer? <laughs> no, then it's not. <laughs> it was just, and but what's this been funny is these little things I send out around Jargon Free Friday, and I'll get to it while I developed, is like I'll go, is it is it okay to use ducks in a row? And I go, do you work in a peaking duck shop? And it's important to have the ducks in a row. <laughs> No, it's not. And, and people go, well, what else, what other word would you use? And this is what I mean. I go, I don't know, but don't make it the default yeah. because people are just saying these words and I can guarantee you that very rarely 100% people, 100% of people understand what they're saying. And then, and then we, you know, we take this and I can get it, I get it can be really efficient 
especially with acronyms, but you've got to make sure people know what they mean or else miscommunication can really happen. So so Jargon Free Fridays actually came about where a client a couple of years ago sent me um, a Dilbert and she sent it to me and it just happened to be a Friday. And I literally just put out a thing on LinkedIn saying, here's a challenge for today. Why don't we stop using jargon just for today? And then, then the whole concept of what if we did this every Friday and what if we came up with a whole Jargon Free Friday? So that was the concept. Um, and I just, because I'm passionate about doing this, I thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw everything at this. I actually spent a fortune getting videos made and um, a website made. And my mentor at the moment said, are you gonna make any money out of this? I went, no, but I'm just, it's, it's, my, it's my little passion project. Um, we all need one of those. Yeah, and so that's, I, I have a bit of fun with that. And, and then, you know, I often show those videos in my workshops and, and everyone laughs at it. I mean, we all know we overuse jargon. Um, it's, so I just think it's a fun way to raise awareness, to actually think what's a pretty serious problem. So mm. it's a sort of tongue-in-cheek fun way to raise awareness. And it's, it's hard to give up jargon. So let's just try. Let's just try one day. <laughs> pick, one, pick one word you know you overuse and try not to use it on try Friday. Get rid of it. Yeah. Busy could be a good one. Busy, yeah. Yeah, busy. Well, busy is not necessarily jargon, but it's certainly overused. Overused, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, busy. That's sort of everyone's response no matter how are you. I'm like, that doesn't tell me anything yeah. about how you feel. Yeah. Tells me a state of your calendar. Exactly. People go, I'm busy. I go, no, you're disorganised. <laughs> I would say you're disorganised or you haven't learned to say no or you're doing stuff that nobody cares about. Yeah. But anyway, we don't. We all just say busy, busy, badge of honour. Now, I couldn't help but catch, you said mentor at the moment. Um, love to hear a little bit about your strategy around how mentors, how you, you interact with mentors and how they've kind of helped you on your career. Yeah, I've, um, it's, it's probably only once or twice where I have, I guess, paid for someone to be my mentor in what you'd call, you know, officially call a mentor. I have a bit of a mentor mindset where I sort of feel at any one time I would consider some people my mentors, mm -hmm. whether they actually know about it or not. Yes, I, it's I would not necessarily formalised. No, it's not yep. formalised, but it's, there's, there's people I know that I would go to to seek um, professional advice from. Um, and I guess they know they play an important part in my role. One of the one of the books I'm a real fan of lately um, is Janine Garner, which I know you know, and her um, her latest book, the you know the key twelve people. It's about the key twelve people in your network and what role they play for you. So you know, are they inspiring you? Are they your butt kickers? Are they your are they your teachers? So it's just I think. Um, yeah, I, I would say I have more of a mental mindset where I can take mentoring advice from different people as opposed to an official, I have a mentor, e even though I've had that in the past as well. And, and and sometimes you can find these people that you provide mentoring, so it's a mutual yeah. relationship. Yeah. And, you know, th that happens too in my life where we could go, you know, what? and this is happening with, with um, Janine and, and another friend, Kieran, we're, we're just having a couple of days away, you know, up in, up on the coast, to two days to literally help each other plan for the year, set our goals so we can hold each other accountable, provide advice. So it's it's finding those opportunities too, like a support network, a real a professional support network. One final question I want to ask before we wrap up. Uh, we love to try and get people who are inspired by what they've heard listening to our podcast actually move into taking action. Mm -hmm. So if you could leave our listeners with a call to action, what would you like to encourage them to go and do after after listening to this chat? So besides maybe giving up one jargon word next Friday whenever you get this like thing, that. 
I would suggest think about how you can implement personal stories into your communication. Know that it's actually quite scary to do. It's uh, Some people go, I, I just keep thinking, why would people be interested? But I would say to you, just give it a go. Prepare one, give it a go, and I can guarantee you, you'll be going, wow, I didn't realise I got really positive feedback. And once that happens to you, you will go, this works, this actually works. So um, just give it a go. Well, great challenge to end on. Raoul, thank you so much for your generosity and sharing so many tips and tricks there. I have no doubt that there are going to be so many people listening are going to go, wow, I understand not only the importance of this, but how to start taking yeah. some steps towards doing this and bringing this into the way that I work. And the profound ripple effect of that, I agree with you, I think will be incredibly pronounced. So thank you for the work you're doing, but also for sharing it with us today. Thanks, Holly. It was fun. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organisation or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback, shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom, leave a review for this coffee pod or head to www.coffeepodswithholly.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom. Thanks for fueling your difference with me.